What's up, y'all? And welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have a young lady who left her Amish community and received her bachelor's degree, became an inspiring author, a power lifter, and a motivational speaker. It gives me great privilege to introduce to you Emily Adams. So you grew up in the Amish community at the age of 17. You left your community, received your GED. You became pregnant at 18 and got married at 19. And after a year or so of your marriage, you it was it was abusive. So you left your marriage and you end up being a single mother with two boys. But you received your bachelor's degree, became a life coach, a speaker, an author, and then you had the nerve to become a, a power lifter and lose 65 pounds. <laughs> yes, somewhat, <laughs> but I'm going to correct you on the author part. So I'm in the process of writing my book. So not yet a published okay, author. Firing author. How about it's, that? That's, we'll take that. But okay. Yes. But still. I mean, what a freaking turnaround. What a testimony. But let's start with your childhood. Um, when you grew up in the Amish community, when did you realize that you were different? So I think like just growing up in general, I was always one of those uh, children that always questioned why and wondered like so many different things of like, even when we went out in public, you know, we went to the store or whatever, I wondered, you know, what would it be like if we didn't live in the, the way we did, or we didn't live in this community with all of these rules and stuff. And um, as I got older, I started to question more and always the answer was, well, it's just because there wasn't really no like solid answer. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I um, started when I was getting out of school at eighth grade, I was around 14 years old. I started questioning a lot more and I realized that it's such a religious culture. So they sit and preach about, um, God is love, but at the same time, God is such a fearing God. So I felt like there was such high expectations from God. There was no way that I was ever going to be saved. I was going to be a sinner for the rest of my life. But Mm. at the same time, I kept hearing, God is love. So as I got older, I started, you know, really looking into like, you know, this religion thing is just like crazy because of the fact that, um, it was just not very, uh, I didn't, I didn't have a connection to start with. Right. I wasn't really connected with God. Yeah. We went to church every Sunday for three hours and, um, did all these, you know, read the Bible, all this kind of stuff. But it was hard for me to connect how in a community like this, there's so much judgment. There's so much like stuff that's going on, but yet we sit and say that God is love and there was not really true love. So I started questioning a lot of different things. And then I think just all the rules and restrictions on top of that, there's a rule for everything, um, including like what color socks you wear, what color shoes, um, how long your dresses are. Like there's so many rules And I was like, we're, I was trying to tie back the rules back into the Bible. Like, where does it say that God says that we have to do this? And there was no connection there. And then it was kind of a turning point of, um, one of my friends had gotten killed out on a, in a buggy accident and in her funeral, it just kind of hit me how, you know, there was some remarks made, you know, they weren't sure like if she was going to go to heaven and I'm like, wait a minute, like 
we aren't the judge of that. How do we sit here? And, you know, of course, it's it's a difficult for, time for me to go through this anyways, you know, because like losing someone and then also just sitting, really sitting back and like seeing like how everyone was responding. And I was like, you know, this is, this isn't for me. And um, then I had gotten into some trouble because I was, I went to a party, I was drinking and smoking and I got somebody tattled. So I got grounded and that kind of really pushed me over the edge because I got grounded for so long and, you know, rightfully so, you know, I shouldn't have been doing those things anyways, you know, whatever, but, uh, we won't talk about that. Um, (laughs) but it just kind of gave me, you know, a different perspective. And then I, at 16, you know, my parents were like, you know, it's time. Usually at 16, you start joining the church, you know, and become a member. And it was like, I was like, no, I'm not interested in it. And then they knew Mm -hmm. I was kind of leaning towards that. And then that's kind of when all the brain I call it brainwashing tactics started because first your parents sit down with you and tell you, you know, if you leave, you can't come back. You know, these are the stipulations and you're leaving everything behind and you're turning your back against God. And then the church comes in and they try to talk to you and tell you, you know, I had um, someone tell me, one lady told me, you know, if you leave, you're going straight to hell and your kids. Yeah. And she was also like, and your kids will go to hell and there is no hope for you ever. In that, in that time, I kind of was like, okay, I have two choices. I've already messed up really bad in my life and I don't feel anything here. So I can either, like, I kind of looked at it like, you know what, guess what? God, no God, we don't, I don't care. I'm just going to go. I might as well go live my best life because it was like, what do I have to lose? Like I was going to stay here and be miserable and not even know for sure if, you know, it's still not, it's still not measure up. Yeah. So yeah. then I just got really, really good at blocking out. So if they came to talk to me, I could literally look at them and not even hear anything they said because I just blocked them out. Wow. What was your family's reaction when you said, I'm I'm leaving, I'm gone? So um, they knew that I was getting, you know, thinking about leaving the Amish. And then I um, ended up going to live with my sister for a little bit because my parents thought, you know, maybe that would be best if I didn't live with my parents. And I, and my parents, I also had two younger brothers and they didn't want me influencing them as well. Okay. So I went to go live with my sister for a little bit and I didn't even tell anybody that I was leaving and I left in the middle of the night. You was really determined to go. Yeah. You was ready. (laughs) I, I just wrote a note and, you know, and I felt bad about it and, you know, leaving in the middle of the night wasn't something I wanted to do. And I felt like, you know, this isn't the right thing to do. But at the same time, I knew if I choose to leave in the daytime, I was 17. So my parents always told me, if you leave, we're automatically going to come get you. So I was scared. Like I didn't want to go back even, you know, even if it was for a couple months, there was no way I, I did not want to stay there. So what was the biggest culture shock when you left? Oh man, there's a lot. (laughs) Uh, I would say, you know, the, the, the biggest culture, a lot of the culture shock was, you know, the clothing, um, trying to understand of like, we're, I, I struggled for the longest time to understand where I fit in at. And, um, I always felt like, even though people didn't know I came from the Amish, I had kind of had that stamped on me. Like Mm -hmm. I carried it as an identity and I felt like that was hard. The other thing I felt like was, it was just such a big world and not knowing, like not having clear direction on 
what to do. And I was still very much wired in the religious Amish ways that I didn't, there wasn't really someone there to be like, you know, you now have a choice to do this. Like you now get to choose this. And I was super scared of like making decisions and, you know, decisions about like cutting, you know, how to get my hair cut or like what clothes to wear or, you know, just simple things. But in, in the Amish culture, like there is no women empowerment as well. And, you know, to come to a culture and see like, wow, like this is different. Like there's is a different world. So when you were married, when, when did you realize that enough was enough and you just had to leave? You just had to go. So, um, I got pregnant at 18 and in the Elmish culture, once you get pregnant, you're automatically marrying that guy. Like you don't have a choice and there's no divorce in the Amish culture. So I, I got pregnant pregnant and I was like, look, we've, I've got it. We've got to get married. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Like he didn't have a problem with it clearly. And, um, got married and realized that within a few less than a year, I realized like, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. He, you know, it's very verbally abusive. There was a lot of alcohol. He drank like nonstop. And, um, you know, I started thinking about like, what does this look like if I leave? There was a lot of fear around it because if I got a divorce, I was even just digger digging myself deeper into the hole of sin is kind of how I was wired. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I was thinking about, you know, I'm just going to file for divorce and, you know, try to figure it out. But then became pregnant with my second. I just found out I was pregnant with my second one. And it was, it was hard because like I attempted to leave like three different times. And finally the, the breaking moment, like the last time was uh, he had been drinking and my boys were playing on the floor and he had came home and took all their toys that they were playing with and just threw them out the door for no reason. Mm. And seeing the look on my oldest's face, cause he knew what was going on, but my youngest didn't. He, he, his, his face was just like devastated. Like what is going on? Like they were doing nothing wrong. They were literally playing. And in that moment I was like, wow, like not only am I dying slowly internally, but my boys are and my boys are hurting and I have to get them out like for their sake they need to get out of this then leaving you know because he threatened me all the time like if I left he would never let me take my boys either and so it just seemed like I was doing a repeat from leaving the Amish it was scary uh, I was like I had no idea like how to be a single shoot I didn't even have know how to do, be a mom let alone a single mom um <laughs> But it was, it was scary, but like I had gotten to that point where I was like, you know what, enough's enough. And we already had tried counseling and he already had tried to quit drinking and it didn't work. And it was just a vicious cycle. And I was just so, I was mentally just drained and exhausted. It takes a whole lot to build that up, that strength up to leave. Yes. You left your husband, you have your babies and you decided you want to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so do you remember that moment? I mean, cause you already went through a lot and then you was like, you know what? I'm going back to school. 
Yeah, so <laughs> I I was originally when I had left the Amish, I was like, you know, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna be the first one in my family to get my GED and get a bachelor's degree. And I always want a bachelor's degree. It didn't matter what it was in. I just wanted a bachelor's degree. And um, when I left, and quite honestly, I'll be honest, like I was like very bitter and angry and couldn't understand like why life was treating me this way. Like, what did I do to deserve this? Um, and I was like, you know what, it's time that I do something for myself. And I, one of, she's like my second mom. Now she was like, you know, just take some time and do what you want to do and find out who you are. So I was like, okay. So I'm like, what have I always wanted to do? I was like, I've always wanted to go to school and I've always wanted to lose weight. Clearly I had gained like almost 55 pounds with my second son, um, being pregnant with him. Mm -hmm. And, um, I decided, okay, I'm going to join a gym and I'm going to enroll in college. And I walked into, um, I didn't tell anyone about this because I felt like, you know, part of me was might fail at it because I didn't know how I was going to juggle working full time, having two boys and going to college. And I walked into the student advisors after I did all my testing um, and she looked and she told, informed me that I needed to take a couple other classes because I wasn't at college level yet, but they would accept me. So I told her, I was like, okay, I need to do it in four years. And she was like, I'm sorry, like, that's not possible. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I don't have more than four years. I want to graduate in four years. And she's like, mm-hmm. well, we can stretch it till six. And I'm like, no, four years, or I'll go somewhere else. Like, I'll just go to a different college. And she finally decided that she would allow me to do four years and set my schedule like that. And I stayed in it year round, including summer and everything. Meanwhile, I had uh, started uh, working out and I started gaining a lot of confidence by working out and started running Spartan races, uh, which really the lifting, losing the weight built my confidence and self-esteem, which also helped me as I was going through college because it gave me an outlet. So it gave me like 45 minutes each day because I left my boys at the babysitter for an extra 45 minutes just so I could go work out. So I would have this time of just like my time. Ended up graduating in four years and my student advisor did come up and tell me after I had my diploma. She was like, you know, I remember like when you came into my office, like I did not think it was possible. And I thought there was no way that you were going to graduate in four years. So she acknowledged it afterwards. Um, but it was one of my biggest accomplishments, of just like being able to graduate and have my boys there to see that while my mom put herself through college. Yeah. And, uh, meanwhile I had done some Spartan races and then I went to the Arnold in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and was looking for some knee sleeves to start, uh, doing more barbell lifting. And a guy started talking to me about powerlifting and he was like you know you should powerlift and I was like didn't even know what powerlifting was so he puts me in contact with some people here in Indiana and we just meet up and I see a competition I was like yeah I could do this like I'm pretty strong and when I started training I realized not only was I strong like mentally but physically I was super strong Mm -hmm. and when I stepped on that uh, platform for the first time it was an adrenaline rush because it was me versus me. I wasn't competing against anyone else. And when I had started losing weight, I was like, I want to be like a size four or six. Like that was kind of my thing. Like I just want to get down in a single digit. 
Mm-hmm. And I realized when I started powerlifting, like, no, there's no way that I even want that anymore. <laughs> right. So, so like I was okay with it and body image when it comes to body image and powerlifting, like powerlifting is such an open and welcoming community for anyone that is struggling. Like it doesn't matter if you're skin, you know, if you're thin, fat, whatever you are thick, it doesn't matter. You like, you just come to compete against yourself and the community is so welcoming. So I really like was able just to finally feel like I fit in somewhere. And so went on to powerlift and I had said, uh, I actually set a goal of a thousand pound total when I first started powerlifting. And um, in December of 2019, I hit 1,013 and then qualified to go to drug tested nationals of September of this year. Shut up. Well, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just struggling trying to do five push-ups. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're doing it. That's all that matters. (laughs) So, and I'm just thinking about your story and I'm like, God was really just showing you how strong you really are. I mean, not just physically so, but spiritually so too. So tell me, um, what is stronger body mindset? Yeah. So I actually, um, so after December of 2019, um, I would say like probably, I think November of 2019, I actually went on a momcation in San Diego and while I was there, I went by myself. And while I was there, I went skydiving and like just really started finding out who I was and what I really wanted out of life and realized, you know, I have this, I landed the corporate job I wanted and I had my degree, but I was still not fulfilled. So um, I started thinking about leaving the corporate world to like have my own business and have my, like my, just make a life where I can be at home with my boys but I didn't know how it was going to work out. And I finally just made the decision to quit um, the corporate world and came up with stronger body and mindset because I always felt like the two were connected. Like they're very much connected. If you have, you know, a strong mindset, you also have a strong body. Like they're very much connected. And funny enough, I left the corporate world to be a nutrition coach because it's what I'm really good at. And I was like, yeah, I'm really good at it. And then, um, COVID-19 hit and really um, it was a blessing. COVID-19 was just a blessing for um, me and my boys. But during that time I had started like a 21 day meditation challenge and it completely changed my life and my perspective. And I went through this period of ditching everything religious and started connecting more of on a spiritual level. And, um, I realized nutrition coaching was not in alignment with who I was. I was more so passionate about starting to teach people the power of their mindset. Because in this time, when I started meditation and I saw all these things happening, I started doing all this work of like reprogramming my mind and understanding like the thoughts that come to us, we have the control over those. Mm-hmm. And a belief is just a thought that you once had. This is powerful stuff. So I took some time to just really um, sit with it. It was uncomfortable because I had no idea what I was going to do. Like if I didn't, you know, be a nutrition coach, I knew I wanted to write and speak, 
as well. But then I realized, you know, life coaching goes more hand in hand with that. And so I just kept the name stronger body and mindset because I still feel like they're still all very much connected, but it's because mind, body, and soul is like all together. So I just kept that name as I transitioned into life coaching. Since you're in life coaching, let me ask you something. What advice would you give people during this pandemic that are dealing with anxieties and depression? What advice would you give them? Yeah. So dealing with anxiety and depression. So I wouldn't say I've ever been diagnosed with depression, but there's been some times, especially after divorce, that I felt super depressed. It felt like I did not want to get out of bed. And I was just like, I'm done. I, at one point, I didn't even want to parent. Like I was like, I'm done. Like somebody can have my kids because I was just like, so done. And if I was to go back now, you know, it's something, usually there's a reason why you're feeling depressed or a reason why you're feeling anxiety. But if you take the time to really dig deep and understand what the reasoning is, and it can be stuff that happened in your childhood that you don't even realize. So if you can take five minutes and just understand like why, and there's this really cool thing that you can do. You can start with like, why am I depressed? Um, It could be because I don't have money. Why? You just keep asking yourself why until you can't answer anymore. And then when you think you kind of have the solution, you can just, you can just sit with it. Like, okay, I think this is the solution. You might feel angry, frustrated. You might feel all kinds of feelings around us and that's okay. Like sit with those feelings. What happens is most people don't want to sit with those feelings because it is so uncomfortable and it is so not fun to sit in feelings of discomfort, but you have to sit in it and then realize that okay, I know this is the problem now. Now I can move forward. I can heal from this. And if that means, you know, getting a support system, or if you think you can do it on your own, then start the process. And literally it starts with a decision. If you decide, yes, I can heal from this. And yes, I want to get help and I'm going to do it. That's the, that's the big start. So decide. And then from there you start shifting your perception and you can pull yourself out of it. It's not always easy, but making that first decision, and it doesn't mean you have to know the end result, but more so just decide, and then from there, take it one step at a time. I've noticed on your social media pages, uh, you address George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Can you share your thoughts and feelings on that? Yes. So I'm going to be very vulnerable and honest. <laughs> I, I, I want you to. Um, so I, um, I have a lot of friends that are not white. And um, when this all happened, you know, I really feel like a curtain was really just kind of raised from my sight. And it really just hit me like, what if George Floyd would have been my best friend? What, what would it, like, how would have I felt like he clearly had made a big impact. And, um, I, I spent some time just thinking about this and then I felt really, really guilty. I felt guilty because all this time I'm white privileged. I have sat here and yes, I will tell you, like, I'm totally against racism, but 
I never really took action. And I think that's like where all my, a lot of my guilt stemmed with was like, I didn't take action. I didn't, uh, I didn't do the work. I didn't educate myself. I didn't just sit and listen. I didn't understand what, I didn't understand that black lives matter. I was one of those that would all say, would say all lives matter. But now I understand it can't really happen until black lives matter because this is, this is what's wrong. You know, the black lives are endangered. You know, they're the ones that need to matter right now. It's not all lives. We can't be all lives until black lives do matter. I started doing a lot of education and um, really sitting down and me and my boys have had a lot of conversations and connecting with just different of my different friends and asking them like, how can I educate myself and what can I do moving forward? Because yes, I acknowledge like I have not done my part at all in the past and that's okay. I, you know, I acknowledge that and I know I messed up and made a mistake by not doing more, but now I'm going to move past that guilt and I'm going to be a voice. I'm going to push for the change that is needed. I'm going to listen to what is needed. And, um, it's been very, uh, powerful just to sit back and, you know, listen and watch things. And a part of this also kind of triggered me because growing up in the Amish culture, every time we went out in public, people would like point at us and ask us crazy questions, or they would like point and laugh at us. And it felt like we were being discriminated against. And I hated it. Like it made me feel so uncomfortable. And when I was sitting down talking with my boys the other day, I was like, you know, in a way I can understand how this Black Lives Matter movement, how, how some of those people feel, but you know what? I could get away from that. I no longer have to deal with that. They have to deal with this every single day and keep fighting for change. That part kind of triggered me as, as like, wow, like I can't believe like I can relate, but I was able to get away and not everybody can get away from this situation. It's people are living it every day. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, my husband and I were talking about how certain people don't really grasp it or understand it. And I was like, the best way that I can think of describing it is if I'm talking to a woman and she tells me that she's been raped, I don't understand because I've never been raped, but I can show her empathy and compassion. And I was like, that is really what we're asking for. Just empathy and compassion and understanding and just being treated as you would want to be treated just the basics not much <laughs> just the yeah. basics and to hear you say that and 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 thank god that you're talking to your boys about that because it starts when they're, they're young hate is taught it's not yes. you're not born to hate you're taught to hate I, I'm glad that, you know, that you are compassionate, open-minded, educating yourself and acknowledging that it starts with you. And then it's a domino effect. We can all just back down and not say anything, right? And this is, this is the thing that gets me, you know, we can sit here and post it on social media, right? 
Mm-hmm. We can we can keep and yes, the social media needs to continue for awareness. But I had this interesting conversation with one of my friends. Uh, she's a very powerful black female leader, and she was telling me that, you know, on social media post, if you show up and you're vulnerable, and but as because because I'm white privileged, so we were talking, you know, how both you know the social media works, and she told me if you post as a white privileged person that you feel super guilty and you're kind of playing the victim and you post that multiple times, then you're making it about yourself. Mm-hmm. And boy, I was like, boy, that is spot on mm-hmm. because we were talking about like, how can we start showing up and just to, yeah, we can sit back and we, you know, we can choose not to take action, but at the same time, it needs, it needs a change. And everyone knows it needs to change. And now people have to decide to continue to take action and not just on the education part, but there's so many places that you can get involved, especially like just in Indianapolis, like the city of life, the love versus fear movement that they have going on. There's just so many ways that you can start being taking action or just start having an opening mind. Like it's got to change. And I feel like I'm like, I could just talk all day because I'm passionate about like just seeing like it change because it's, it's time. It's, it's way past due time of, you know, we're here, we are in like the 21st century, but yet we're still stuck in like years in the past on certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the best thing that's happening right now is that the open dialogue that everybody, not just black, not just white, not just globally, this is a conversation now. Globally, this is being addressed. Globally, everyone is saying enough is enough. This, I mean, it's it's a heck of a lot different from what my parents growing up and my grandparents growing up is, and their grandparents. It's a lot different. I, my mom told me that when she was growing up that she was chased out the South. She had to move up North because they told her that because she wanted to be educated and become a nurse and she had a strong opinion, they was going to kill her. My grandmother, her mom made her move to Indiana to live with her older sister to save her life. I'm like, that wasn't that long ago. That was, that's pretty recent. So, you know, and she did it. She got her education and she became a nurse and became a teacher. She did that. But it was like her life was threatened just because she wanted to be better because she was black. We're we're making steps. We're making progress, but we still got a long way to go. Still got a long way to go. Absolutely. And I think like the, I do think like a lot of people are being more open to it. You know, I do have to agree with you there. And I feel like for those that are white privileged that feel, you know, guilt because, you know, I was one of those, like I felt guilty for not standing up, but at the same time, like, don't let the fear hold you back to not take that action. Because I feel like, you know, for me, it was very uncomfortable you know, some of my friends I was really close with. So of course, you know, I could reach out to them and say, Hey, can we talk about this? Like, can we start having conversations about this? Mm-hmm. And, um, one of my friends gave me really good advice. She's like, if you don't know how to talk to how to start the conversation between you and a person of color, simply ask them, 
what do I do as a white privileged person that may be coming off as racist and I don't even know it? Like ask for like that critical feedback mm-hmm. and be open to receiving it. Yeah. So the conversation really doesn't have to be that scary. And quite honestly, you should start to have uncomfortable conversations. It's yeah. time. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest. I think that white people need to have conversations with white people too. Yes. Ab- about it. You know, it's great to come to us and just to say, hey, how you feeling? You know, how are you dealing with all this? And just, you know, and going to the what can I do conversation. But if you feel strongly about it with us, feel strongly about it with yourselves. Yes. I, I, I know a lot of, of white people are scared of what other white people may think of them for thinking that kind of way. If you have a stronger belief about your politics, then why can't you have a stronger belief about racism with each other? I'll get sidebars from um, white friends that are say, you know, tell me that they agree with what I'm saying or my post. But I'm like, but you didn't say that on the post, right? <laughs> because now, they're still they're still too scared to actually speak up and own their voice and own their opinion, which is a whole other issue. Right now, the ones that like the post, I applaud them, and you know, and it's like, well, I, I'm glad you did that because you're letting everybody know that you're against that, you know, or you're with me or whatever I'm saying about you know racism. But the ones that don't say anything or even like it, and then like sidebar me i'm like well you're not really proving anything to me saying something behind closed doors yes (laughs) absolutely and i do think like it is like white people do have to start having conversation with white people and we have to start calling some of them some of it out and you know and i I literally i was me and my boys had this conversation and i said you know part of not being racism is also if you're in a conversation and someone makes a racist remark, you need to step up. You yes. need to step up and stop it. Like stop it cold in its tracks. And if that means you lose a whole bunch of friends, those friends were never there for you to start with. Yes. I just, I feel like that's, that's going to be part of it. That's going to, you know, for those that they're going to, we're going to have to learn how to step up and use our own voice and say, you know, no, we're not going to tolerate that. If you want to have those conversations and you want to continue on that path, then it's going to be without me. But just, yeah. you know, start putting a stop to it. Yes. My daughter was actually crushed because she was like, she's finding out that a lot of her friends are a lot are, are racist. She just didn't see it coming. I'm like, unfortunately, I'm like, this whole thing is showing a lot of people's true colors and it is very hurtful. It, it does break your heart. I mean, cause I'm like, I'm finding out the same thing. Hopefully generations to come won't have to deal with this crap anymore. Exactly. And that's the only thing like we can keep driving it and keep pushing for that change and keep, you know, taking the action so that the next generation is, You know, even if you look back, like slowly, the generations have opened up slowly, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe this is one of, we're taking a bigger leap, still not big enough to, you know, to end the problem, but you know, it's, it's, it's a slow process. 
I, I love your openness and I'm glad that we finally got to connect. Uh, but how can people contact you? Yeah, so I definitely enjoyed being on here and I love to just watch you on social media. I love your your vibe and everything you do. Oh, thank um, you. So for contact, I hang out on my Instagram stories quite a bit. And my Instagram uh, handle is Emily underscore powerlifting. And then I also have a website. It's emilyadams.net. Last question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you could have any song be your theme song when you walk into a room, what would it be and why? Oh, man. So my first gut uh, reaction was uh, Hold Me Back by, is it KB? KB Black, maybe? It's like, um, this, the song basically says, um, they're going to have to hold me back. And I feel like that's kind of my life theme song. Yes. <laughs> yes. So my other song, if I would have to go with number two choice, would be um, Who Says by, uh, man, I can't think of who's, is it maybe? By another song, yeah. Who Says You Can't Do, you know, do This. Mm -hmm. And like, I, every time, like, I feel like I need a song that empowers me, I will put that one on as well. So... <laughs> Yeah, because I was thinking as you were talking, I said, you know what? Every story, this, every part in your journey, it was, I walked away, I quit, and I started something bigger than what I walked away from. Then I quit that and walk, walked into something else that was bigger than that one. Each door was like bigger than the last door you would walk out of. And it's like, good Lord. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like, and oh. I would, I would like to say that, um, I'm going to stop that trend, but honestly, I'll be completely honest. Like, um, why would days. you? Well, and, and, and it, because part of it is really scary and uncomfortable, <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of days ago, I just realized like through meditation, you know, I had, you know, this moment of, wow, like you need to really step it up because you do have a bigger calling and like start listening more to what your calling is, you know, just start more leading more meditation workshops and, you know, serving those that are struggling to live in love and mm -hmm. serving those, you know, that are, don't know how to be a light. Right. So, yeah. So I would say there's still continues to open doors bigger than the last one. <laughs> Cause it's like, man, it's like, you know what? I don't like this job. I'm going to start my own company. That's you. <laughs> 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 no, it doesn't it doesn't come with all the doubts and fears and all the reprogramming you get to do with your mind. So I don't want to just lose weight. I want to be a power lifter. What? <laughs> Does that? <laughs> Powerlifting is very empowering. Very empowering. I'm not a power lifter or anything, but when I was going to the gym, that was probably my favorite part was the weights because uh, it was just something about each time you go into the gym and add more weights on and it's like oh this is nothing I can put some more weights on it yeah. okay it just feeling strong that's why I'm so pissed now I'm at the point where I can't even do five push-ups I'm like what the heck where did my little strength go but I'm gonna get it back Oh, it'll come back. And let me tell you, you say that you're not a power lifter, but if you, if you already have that mindset of, Oh, I can do stronger and I can do this. Like once you learn the technique of power lifting, you'd be like, 
shoot, yeah, I can powerlift, even if you never competed, but just the movements in general and seeing yourself progress so much Mm -hmm. that it's unreal. Like I would have never dreamt that I would have a goal of having a 450 squat, a 450 deadlift and 240 bench. Shut up. But that's my goal walking into September for nationals like that. Those are my goals because I've already hit um, 424 squat, 424 deadlift and a 225 bench. Shut up. So (laughs) somebody meet you around the corner and think they can take you out. They got another thing coming. (laughs) I can handle my own. (laughs) I got another thing coming. (laughs) But anybody, you know, really anybody can do it. And that's what I tell like any female that's looking to work out and get active. And I, and you know, I always hear this you know, the gym intimidates me or, you know, I'm just starting out and I'm like, guess what? Put your headphones in and block it out. Nobody is paying attention to you. That's right. You think I loved about the gym, put my music in and be easily in there for a couple hours and wouldn't even realize it. Yeah, exactly. And it's therapeutic. Very much so. Very much so. Thanks for all your time. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Emily, for being on my show. You are a true inspiration. You have shown us that it doesn't matter what hand you are dealt. As long as you play the right card, you will always win. And if you would like to be on Worldly Church Girl, click the link below, shoot me an email, and let's see what we can do with that thing. And... You haven't subscribed yet? What are you doing? Hit that subscription button so you will never miss another episode. And as always, thanks for joining your one and only Worldly Church Girl.